Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is a Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 70. We're up all night to get lucky. We're up all night to get lucky. We're up all night to get lucky. Podcast. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, who got a Sega Saturn instead of a PlayStation for Christmas, Pat Flynn. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is Pat Flynn, and welcome to Session 770 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm so happy you're joining me today, and I hope you dug that intro. That was all vocalized by me, the beats and everything. Um, I just have so much fun doing that. I hope I hope you don't mind me doing more of that because I think that's what I'm going to do at the intros from this point forward um, because I've ran out of sort of funny little sayings to say um, and I love music and I like to pretend I can sing a cappella. So um, and Pitch Perfect is one of my favorite movies. I will admit that. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. That's a Daft Punk song for you today. And during the announcer intro, uh, you may have heard that, you know, the very, very sad truth that I did get a Sega Saturn instead of a PlayStation. And as we all know, um, I mean, some of you probably don't even know what a Sega Saturn is, but they both came out at the same time and I got the wrong one. But anyway, that's okay because I'm here with you today and we have a very special guest on the show, someone who is bringing a little bit something different to the table, um, someone who is going to talk a little bit of psychology, a lot of, actually a lot of psychology, and a lot of just really interesting things about our brains and why we do the things we do and how that can help us and our business. This is really important stuff. As much as it may not seem like it when you're listening to it, when you really think about it, this is actually at the root of everything we do. My guest today is Sean Webb from I Am Podcast, IAMPodcast.com, talks and discovered a lot about how the human brain works. And he has a really interesting story about how he discovered all this, which he's going to share right at the top of the show. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Sean Webb from IamPodcast.com. Hey, what's up, Sean? Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. How are you? I am well. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, for everybody out there who doesn't know who you are, kind of tell us a little bit about what you do um, and how you got into that. Sure. Um, well, I guess I could start by saying I'm, I'm just like you, Pat. I'm just a guy who decided to figure something out 
and then figured it out, and now I'm trying to help people improve their lives through that knowledge. Um, you know, you're doing it with developing passive income streams, and I'm basically doing it through practical methods of improving emotional intelligence and increasing inner peace. You know, I wish that there was a better backstory, but you know, it's the it's the typical backstory. Um, you know, about uh, 12 years ago, uh, I was an executive at a Fortune Global 100, and I had a six-digit salary working 30 hours a week, and I was flying to Europe quarterly. Was in charge of service delivery into 200 countries and territories. Had a nice house, a nice luxury sedan, a, a motorcycle, a boat, classic convertibles, a second car, and I was dating a very attractive woman who is now my wife of 10 years, thankfully. Awesome. And um, I had everything that I was told that I was supposed to have to be happy, except that I wasn't happy. So that's the basic, you know, I guess, typical story of our entrepreneur uh, path that a lot of us are taking. And so rather than looking outside of myself for what might be wrong and what I needed to fix in the equation, which is the trap that a lot of us fall into, we start thinking, you know, I need a bigger house or a better car or a better employer or, um, you know, taken to extremes, the ultimate can come into, you know, I need a better spouse or maybe we need to add kids to the equation, whatever. Um, instead, I started looking within myself to figure out what was going on in there. You know, what's, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. And so long story short, without knowing anything about psychology, over the next few years, I figured out the process within myself that created my own emotional suffering. And so then I started studying psychology so I could use the correct terms to explain it to people. And then that's when I discovered that the world of psychology really didn't have this whole process figured out yet. And there are, you know, hundreds of psych studies that support the model that I put together. But, you know, it was at that point that I was like, wait a minute, you know, I can't be the first person to have figured out the catalysis of emotional pain and suffering. There's got to be something I'm missing. So being a guy who doesn't like to waste time, I presented the model to some of the world's leading specialists in effective emotions computing at MIT and Georgia Tech, thinking, you know, these people with 30 and 50 years of emotions research under their belt will surely tell me what I missed, pound me into the pavement and send me packing. Mm -hmm. And so I presented it in the fall of last year and asked, you know, am I crazy? What am I missing? And the response was, not only are you not crazy, it fits with all the current research and you need to publish this. So I wrote a white paper for some PhDs at MIT, and I turned that into a book that I just published on Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. And now I have a virtual research team of PhDs moving us slowly towards putting some science behind the model. That is that you said you didn't have an amazing story. That is an amazing story. <laughs> like, how does someone like you, Sean, who says you know you're a guy just like me, and you know we're just regular people? How do you go from you know, not knowing anything about psychology and just, you know, at least understanding that, you know, you're not happy to all of a sudden speaking in front of MIT and Georgia Tech, uh, you know, professors and, and people who have done research on this before and giving them something new. I mean, how does that happen? You know, I think it was really coming at it from, you know, uh, an ignorant point of view, really. I mean, it was, you know, I think education, you know, I went to college and just like everybody else went to, went to school. I think our education sometimes puts us into a pattern of thinking that is just like everyone else's pattern of thinking. And so I kind of had the benefit of not thinking like a psychologist and approaching this from a systems perspective. I used to be a systems engineer for Silicon Graphics, create research a long time ago, supercomputing company. Mm -hmm. um, Google took over their headquarters. But I came at it from that pragmatic perspective of how do things work inside my head without having any prior knowledge or realization of how things are supposed to work or how people think about how things work inside our heads. 
And so I guess that's kind of how I, I approached it. I said, okay, how do my emotions work? What is, what is the process within me that's creating this melancholy, creating this non-satisfaction about all these awesome things that are supposed to be making me happy? And so I just kind of put it together. And it was at that point that, you know, I started talking to people about it and they were like, well, yeah, that's kind of how my emotions work too. And I was like, hmm, all right. <laughs> so that's when I started into, you know, delving into psychology and figuring out, well, psychology, there's a ton of research that supports every bit of this model in a microscopic standpoint, but no one really put the big picture together and presented it in a, this is how they work generally. Now, were you scared at all, like presenting to these people who are studying psychology, you know, you not coming from that particular background, did you worry that Huge. maybe this wasn't right or, you know, what yes. was going through your head? Hugely, hugely. I was fully expecting to be handed my hat and patted on the head and said, you know, <laughs> thank you for your, you know, little presentation. Have a nice day. Um, it was um, it was really intimidating. I mean, I'm presenting to a, a couple of people who have been on the stage at TED right. and who talk about um, emotions and who are the foremost experts in the world on emotions research regarding, you know, computing research and building these models to explain research in a logical fashion. And here I am, this guy who, you know, probably had a psych 101 course in community college on my way to my degree. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying, okay, well, tell me what's wrong with this so I can go home and, and put it to rest. <laughs> right. That's, that's so cool. I mean, even before we get into what that model is and sort of what that's done for you, I just think that just speaks highly of, of really, you know, just how much you believed in something and how much you really wanted to figure this out and what that actually did for you. I mean, you could have easily just said, well, you could have easily just said, oh, I'm going to look for more external things to make me happy. Or you could have just said, oh, well, I'm not happy. I'll just try to be happy. But you actually tried to figure this out. And then you took it a step further and you wanted to share this with everybody. So yep. kudos to you for that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, because I'm, you know, I it's really had a great benefit to my personal life. And, you know, so now it's like I want to share this with everybody. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to in, you know, listen to your podcast and stuff. I'm trying to develop some passive income products that, you know, will help people become Jedi masters of their mind for however they want to use it, attaining inner peace, becoming better business people, improving their relationships or their parenting skills. Or, um, you know, we're even developing a product to help police officers handle highly charged situations while they're in the middle of that situation so that the municipalities can reduce their litigation risks when somebody doesn't step on somebody's neck too hard, that type of thing. And wow. so, you know, an added benefit would be so our police officers can remain controlled in almost any situation, which I think is a, a good requirement for um, society. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's it's really interesting because you're taking this thing that to normal people and to people like myself, it just seems like there wouldn't be any sort of formula, I guess, or sort of equation or model that goes along with emotions and how it all works. But based on what you're saying here, there is a particular way things happen. If we can understand that, we're going to be way better off. Oh, totally, totally. Because the studies on emotional intelligence, um, you know, there, I mean, there are tons of studies on emotional intelligence. One even just recently that shows, you know, the, the adolescent social skills are increased. This is a study done by Desiree Ruiz Aranda in Spain. She showed that um, a higher level of emotional intelligence creates a higher level of social skill in adolescents and a lower level of stress in teenagers and, um, you know, helping solve the problem of teenaged angst. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another study in, uh, published in Social uh, Cognitive and Effective Neuroscience showed that IQ and EQ, emotional quotient, 
is tightly coupled together where it used to be, you know, they thought it was totally separated that you could be really smart and, and uh, emotionally ignorant or emotionally ignorant and intelligent incredibly intelligent. But now they're seeing they're exceptionally coupled. And so increasing your emotional quotient will increase your intelligence quotient. Okay. I mean, this is all, I mean, for some people out there listening, I'm sure this is like, okay, well, okay, let's, let's just talk about what, what this is exactly. But even before we get to that, I want to, I want to have you answer this question. How, how is this all going to benefit the audience here? Those of us listening, the online entrepreneurs, the bloggers, the business owners, what can you do specifically to help us? Sure. Well, you know, I, I'm also an entrepreneur, um, and have been for the last seven or eight years. I'm a alumnus of the Advanced Technologies Development Center um, at out of Georgia Tech. And so I've done a couple of startups. And so I've gone through the whole process of raising money and, you know, doing businesses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I found you and I decided this is going to be the model for me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it, regarding the question, um, you know, the benefits to entrepreneurs, you know, we as, we as entrepreneurs are creative people. And so we experience ups and downs that sometimes can be severe. And, you know, it's just part of the landscape of being creative. And so we have these crests and troughs regarding our positivity and our creativity and our productivity, which then ultimately will affect our profitability in the end. Our negative emotions like, you know, fear and anger and sadness, worry, regret, et cetera, the ones that paralyze us to a certain extent as entrepreneurs, when, you know, when we get like discouraged or distracted or, or taken off path or lose motivation or lose focus, what is happening there is that we're being affected by an emotion within us that's causing the symptom of us not being able to be as productive as we can be. So in other words, if we lose our wind in our sails, it's because of some sort of emotional disappointment or emotionally created chemical imbalance or emotional occurrence that our mind is either consciously or unconsciously chewing on. And we need to get that thing out of the way because when our mind is clear and when we can see our goals and when we're not being distracted by other stuff, that's when we can get a heck of a lot done. Okay, so you're saying that you know, on the surface level, we may notice that as business owners, entrepreneurs, bloggers, we might not be as productive as we want to be or there might be some sort of fear that we have or anger towards something or um, you know, we're distracted and there's something yep. deeper – which is causing that. And a lot of us, I mean, even me, I see, well, I'm not getting this done because I'm getting distracted or I'm not getting this done because I'm scared. I'm not getting this done because I'm just procrastinating. But I don't think about, okay, well, why am I procrastinating or why am I not getting this done? So tell us more about that. Okay. And, and, you know, those types of things can like the fear of failure, right. Will inhibit us from even getting started on projects, right? right? They'll stop us from even pushing forward on things that we need to, to get done, Right. So, you know, it's very it's very important to to understand our emotions and understand the process of our emotions so that we can get those things out of the way, understand them, because, you know, Psych 101 um, teaches us that understanding our emotions and being able to name them, being able to look at them, then creates a big, thick black wall that we're removed from emotions and we become less of. Um, you know, less controlled by our emotions and more controlling of our emotions. And so it helps us be more effective, right? Mm-hmm. Now, for beginners, say someone who hasn't even started yet, I mean, they're going yep. through this fear. Um, what what are some of the sort of causes of that fear? What What are the emotions that people just starting out typically go through? All right, well, let's talk about the science of emotions, and then we can spin back around to how it plays in a business. How about that? Cool, thank you. 
Okay. So, you know, we should first understand the basic um, definitions of emotions or what they are. They're basically a, a product of our subconscious brain activity. And so then you need to ask, okay, well, what is the brain? Well, the brain is the organ um, that from a 50,000 foot view helps prolong our survival. I mean, when we come out of mommy's belly, we have a, a ton of intelligence, but we're also a clean slate to a certain extent. We already know how to run digestion, respiration, circulatory, immune system, et cetera, but then we know nothing about our environment or ourselves or how to survive in that environment. So immediately the brain becomes a sponge, soaking up everything it can regarding the world into which we've entered. It starts defining the world and it starts defining us because – it's important to understand the world because we need to know how to find food and shelter and that things like bears are dangerous mm. and, you know, that information can extend our lifespan. And then we also need to know our definition of ourselves because knowing how fast we can run and how far we can jump is also information that can extend our lives. And this definition of self that the brain collects is called our sense of self in psychology, but some spiritual masters and ancient um, psychological teachings call it ego. Um, now, the sense of self is important when it comes to emotions. So let's talk about that for a second. Sure. Sense of self can be simplified into a number of attachments within the mind. Our sense of self when we're born, starts out with the experiencing of our senses, but then cognitively gets altered when mommy points at herself and says mommy and then points at you and says your name. So immediately your sense of self then evolves into, okay, I must be everything within the confines of my skin and I am my name. And these become mindful attachments that then become part of your brain's definition of you. Now, from there, we add other attachments. We become attached to the people around us, our toys. Uh, we become attached to our routine. Anything that we see as part of our world becomes a part of our sense of self. And so later in life, this shows up as, you know, we're attaching to things like political affiliations, religions, our job, our nationality, our ethnicity, our likes and dislikes, such as our favorite sports teams, and even ideas like, you know, I would like this day to go well. Uh, for me, or I would like the protagonist of this movie to win the girl in the end. Mm -hmm. Now, this is important because emotions are the subconscious reactions to our perceptions that are associated with our sense of self. Emotions come from the brain and as such are designed to prolong our life. They're there to help uh, throw things in front of our waking consciousness that we need to pay attention to. So when a bear walks out of the woods in front of us, we're presented with a situation that is a threat to our sense of self. Fear is the emotion that is the result to a threat to self. The reaction triggers a flood of adrenaline into our bloodstream. It constricts the pupils, focuses our attention, preps us for fight or flight in that bear situation. And that is a good and healthy emotional reaction that can indeed prolong our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Where emotions go off the track, however, and where they start to cause us problems is when they extend into reacting to things that pertain to our extended sense of self to include the things that we attach to that aren't really who we are and that aren't really life-threatening. For instance, if you're a big fan of a certain football team, right, um, a psychologically identical fear will present itself inside you when your team is about to, about to lose the big game, right? Yeah. And so it's the same process. The cognitive attachment to our favorite sports team has been added to our sense of self, and now that portion of our sense of self is being threatened by the other team. So some level of fear is the result. 
Well, similarly, we can experience emotions about other mindful attachments to our businesses, to our politics, to attacks on our country, down to, you know, attacks to uh, or the fear of failure uh, that stops us from even getting started, right? Now, specifically, it works like this. Every attachment that we have um, gets an expectation or preference assigned to it in our, in our mind. Now, this is basically a little equation that I put together called the equation of emotion. It is expectation and or preference about your attachment of self as compared to your reality as perceived or your perception of whatever the world's giving you at the moment. That will either um, create a positive, a negative uh, reaction, positive or negative emotional reaction. Okay. Now, can, can you re, can you re-say that equation? Because I think that's really important. So just you correct yes. me if I'm wrong. It's what you expect versus what happens. Right. And that exactly. either causes, you know, something positive or something negative. So obviously our expectations have sort of a big role in what's goes on what goes on. Huge. And then also our perception of actually what happens and sometimes our perception of what happens isn't always the, the truth so um, i just want to make sure that was clear so just keep that keep it going this is really interesting um you know stuff and stuff that we don't normally talk about when it comes to you know creating passive income or building businesses but i think you know this is at the root of everything so i think it's uh really important. So again, thank you for coming on and sharing all this. So we have the equation, expectation yep. or preference yep. versus, um, you know, reality uh, causing some sort of either a positive or a negative emotion. Where, where do we go from there? How do we control any of that? Okay. Well, when, now when your expectation or preference is similar to your reality as perceived, a positive emotion comes as a result. Makes sense. When, you, when your expectation or preference is different than your perception, your reality as perceived, then a negative emotion is going to come as a result. Now, there are specific, these, this isn't the end all be all, there are specific um, variables that will tell you whether it's anger, fear, worry, regret, sadness, etc. Um, but basically, this is how emotions work. When your expectations or preferences are met in life, such as even when you're a baby and you know, you're hungry, uh, everything's fat and happy and you're giggling. If you're hungry and you're not being fed, then you start crying, right? right? And it's that simple all the way through life. Your expectations and or preferences about your sense of self are either met or they're not met. And you have a positive or negative emotion that is the result um, and when you don't have one or the other, let's say you have a favorite sports team and you don't know the score of the game, you don't have an RP, there's no emotional reaction, right? It could be driving you crazy that you don't know the score, but at the same time, that's R a different R equation. R RP being reference point. Um, RP being reality as perceived. Oh, well, or reference point. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, cool. And then if you, don't have, if you don't have an expectation or preference also, like say you're watching the Super Bowl and you don't care about either team, you don't have an emotional uh, reaction to the result of the game. So it's a good little um, equation that helps us understand the basics because at any point that you're having an emotion – you can always ask yourself, okay, what is my expectation or preference regarding this situation and or what is my perception, what is my reality as perceived in this moment that is causing this emotional reaction? So it's a basic good um, indicator of, of what's going on inside you. Okay. Right. Okay, cool. So um, – Can we tie that back into business? Yes. <laughs> so let's say you have an expectation or preference um, regarding a – 
sale of a, of a new product that you're putting out or something like that. Cool. Um, and you get the initial sales results and they are not what you expected them to be. You're going to have a negative emotional reaction to that um, expectation or preference not being met. So you have a, an expectation of the sales numbers and they're not coming in. And so reality is now replacing your expectation and or preference saying it's not um, what you wanted it to be. And in the situation of an actual devaluation of one of your attachments, that's when sadness occurs. And sadness has multiple levels. Sadness can be expressed at a very low level of being disappointed or being hurt. And then at the mid-level, you have a, a real sadness. At the higher level, you have grief and despair. And so how attached you are to your expectation and a preference um, basically helps dictate how much emotion you feel. Let's say um, you have a, uh, an attachment to your, your product doing well and it doesn't do well. Well, that'll dictate that you feel a little bit disappointed you, or you're, you have a low level of sadness. However, if grandma dies, you're highly attached to grandma. And so uh, a loss there will, you know, elicit a higher level of, of sadness, despair, and grief. Right. Now, that, that, that makes sense. And I think that's, that's sort of obvious as, as far as, you know, the more we're attached to something and the more it doesn't work out, the more, you know, grief and despair we're going to have versus just maybe being a little bit disappointed. Right. Now, exactly. how, how can we control our emotions when we are met with sadness because you know a lot of times especially when you're starting out what you want to happen or what your expectations may be are hardly ever reality right so we're going to put ourselves in that negative situation all the time which you know for a lot of people means giving up or just not believing in themselves anymore and going down this spiral right exactly and so the two ways, um, or there, there are a few ways, actually, we, we can control our emotions. I mean, the emotions themselves are a reaction of the subconscious portion of our, our mind and our brain, right? So we can't actually control the process that the brain uses to, to create the emotions. But because we know the variables in the equation of emotion, our expectation and our preference and our perception, we can start to mal, you know, start to mold the variables a little bit to help us um, shape our emotional reactions a little better. And there are a couple of other things that we can do as well to help control our emotional well-being and our emotional reactions. And one, you know, of course, is knowledge, knowledge of the process. Again, going back to Psychology 101, when we understand the process and we can identify the process, we can witness the process, we are removed from the process and removed from being affected by the emotion as much. But the second is plasticity, which opens a whole new um, you know, huge book on how to create a higher level of emotional well-being inside of ourselves. Because the cool thing about plasticity, you know, emotions come out of our brain. And our brain is not a, you know, what you see is what you get. And it's fully um, baked and will never change entity. Your brain, thanks to plasticity, reacts and can grow and shrink in various areas based on, you know, what your conscious will is and what your activities are um, from your mind into your brain. So, like, you – if you, for instance, um, use your right hand all the time on, on you know, your – actions and things like that, the area associated with your movement of your right hand is going to grow in your brain. And if you never use your left hand, that section is going to um, atrophy in your brain. And this is you know, proven through hundreds of studies at this point 
um, including, you know, uh, some studies that they had to do on animals and, um, you know, cutting their control of their arms and limbs and stuff like that. Some pretty controversial stuff, but um, it's being shown now that is regarding emotional intelligence and emotional well-being, things like meditation can help us out. Meditation can increase our emotional well-being. It can, can control the alpha wave activity in the brain that creates uh, the severity of emotional output. Mm-hmm. Um, mass Massachusetts General uh, showed me, uh, meditation changes the brain structure in as little as eight weeks. Wow. And at the point that you're uh, changing your brain structure, you're changing your emotional output circuitry. So if you can get control of your brain and bring the noise level down uh, inside, it is more easy for you to be able to slip into that space of the observer and slip into that space of being more in control rather than being controlled or being a victim of what's going on in your brain. Right, the, but it, um, it's so hard to control what's going on in your head sometimes. Oh, hugely, hugely. Because, you know, it's designed to throw things up in front of your consciousness that, I mean, are constantly, you know, like a thousand years ago, it's, it's great. You know, is this important? Is this important? Should we pay attention to this? Should we pay attention to this? And a lot of those things are going to be things that help prolong your life. But now it's like, okay, who's going to get kicked off idle tonight? You know, and, you know, a lot of first world issues that distract us. Oh, who sent me that last, that last email? You know, and so there's a lot of stuff that our mind throws up in front of us that is just horrible for us because the average, there's a recent study that showed the average um, distraction comes in every 11 minutes. And if we allow ourselves, if we're unfocused enough to allow ourselves to switch gears and associate our attention with whatever that came in as that distraction, it takes us 25 minutes to get back to our original task. And by the way, we're increasing um, our stress levels. Uh, along the way, because a Gloria Marx study in four of 2012 showed that interruptions like that result in significantly higher stress levels in the body. And then another study by David Meyer at U of M showed that the higher stress levels equate to higher stress hormones, which dramatically inhibit your short-term memory retention. And so, you know, if you're not controlling that stuff, you're not only not doing yourself good, you're actually doing yourself harm. You know, because according to the National Institutes of Health, stress is the number one killer nationally, um, you know, because it causes high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, et cetera. So now are these interruptions that are sort of because of external factors like, you know, say I'm working and then somebody knocks on the door and then all of a sudden I'm interrupted or I might get an email ping on my desktop while I'm in the middle of something like is it that or is it the just me working on something and then just deciding to go on Facebook or, you know, <laughs> well, it's both okay. <laughs> when the distractions come in from external factors, um, that is most common. But a lot of times if your mind is a little, uh, is a little crazy, um, and always throwing up other ideas in front of you, should I pay attention to this? Should I pay attention to this? Well, if you do pay attention to it, that's going to increase your stress level. And that's where, um, you know, meditation and, and mind practice comes back into focus again for us because, um, you know, you have things like the Institute for National Medicine and Prevention. They did a 10-year study, and they split people into two groups. And the first group, they told, okay, we want you to eat right and exercise. And the second group was told to meditate for 20 minutes twice a day. 
And 10 years later, this is a 10-year study, the people who meditated reduced their risk for heart attack and stroke by 66% over the people who were just dieting and exercising. 66%. And um, for the folks wow. who could only meditate once a day, they reduced heart attack and stroke by almost 50% over the diet and exercise folks. But the bonus was the meditators reported dramatic reductions in anger issues. They also reported reduced fatigue, increasing their alertness, increasing their concentration. They had enhanced cognitive functions on tests. And there was about a 50% decrease in all the noise that could distract them from the tasks that they had. All that noise that we have as entrepreneurs, all those awesome ideas that are flying around in our heads at all, all times – you know, not that your creativity is reduced because the creativity is actually enhanced, but those distracting thoughts were decreased by about 50%. Wow. So yeah. really the big thing here is just to do what we can to sort of control our minds and sort of just guide the traffic that's going on in our heads instead of just letting it all just jumble. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, it takes practice, right? You don't sit down to the piano and expect to play, you know, a concerto the first time out. It's something that you have to develop a skill for and develop a practice of. And especially when you're talking about dealing with the mind, the mind, you know, is our experience of the brain. And so the brain is designed to throw things up in front of us all the time. Is this important? Is this important? Is this important? Because that type of activity is beneficial for our extended or prolonged survival. And so in our more first world experience where we've kind of got, you know, wild animals taken care of and, you know, they're behind cages and, um, we're not necessarily uh, uh, in life peril every 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of stuff is now becoming an inhibiting factor for our, our health because, you know, it's extending from, you know, what, what we think of our sense of self. Now we have extensions of our sense of self, such as our politics, our religion, our sports teams, our whatever, our expectations for the day. And now when our reality as perceived isn't meeting those expectations, that's causing negative emotions. That's causing stress hormones. That's causing uh, short-term memory reduction. That's causing higher uh, cortisol levels, higher stress hormone levels, shortening our lives. Um, that's some serious stuff, not to mention being extremely distracting to us when we're trying to get stuff done for our business. Right. Right. No, that makes complete sense. Um, let's try to talk about some specific examples that people in the audience might go through or have gone through or may go through in the future when it comes to building an online business. Let's talk about some of the most common fears or common instances of negativity that people might come across. And maybe we could talk about how people might be able to either react to that or avoid that. Sure. And... What you know, we had talked previously about this um, a few months back. My servers went down, yeah, and it screwed up a lot of stuff. And <laughs> you know, I, 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 a lot of people perceived sort of my reaction to it um, and said, "Wow, you're pretty calm." But you know, in my head, I was just kind of livid. You know, I wanted to scream, I wanted to throw my computer on the floor just because I knew that every minute that my site was not up, that that was minutes where people were trying to visit my site and people weren't going there, um, income lost, opportunities to build relationships with people, just loss and just of an overall negative sort of experience for my brand as a whole. Right. Now, people, you know, that was something unexpected. Right. I didn't think that that would happen. How right. could I have better either controlled the situation, reacted to it, maybe acted faster, or maybe better prepped for it? 
Okay. Um, well, regarding prepping for it, I mean, you can, you, you know, that, that goes into a whole disaster recovery, um, scenario and, you know, basically there's a whole separate analysis of, of some things that I used to do for my fortune global 100, where you analyze all the potential threats and all the potential eventualities of, um, you know, your operational procedures and, and what could go down and what's or what are single points of failure and how do you get those things back up and how much money do you need to spend to get those things back up? Um, immediately, that type of thing. Right, some um, sort of technical like things I probably should have prepped yeah, for. There's, just there's in a case. bunch of technical stuff that you right. can do, um, but basically, you know, the emotional reaction that you were feeling because of your site going down can go right back to the our simple equation of emotion. It was your expectation and or preference uh, as compared to you know reality as perceived. What the world was giving you equaled your emotional reaction. Now, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, you had an attachment to not wanting your site go down. So there was a little bit of surprise of initially. Yep. But then something, there was probably a little bit of anger as well. Now, anger by definition, and you know, you can get this. I, I wrote a book called um, How Emotions Work in Humans and Computers. And if you were listening to NPR last week, um, they're, they're doing a big thing or they had a big story on how targeted advertising for emotions in users is going to be the next huge thing. If you want to understand that, Go read that book. It's on Amazon.com, Audible.com, iTunes. It explains how emotions work and how to use that information for targeted advertising. But anger specifically is um, the attack of something outside of your sense of self, something off your attachment map that attacks something on your attachment map. So you've got your website and someone off of your website attacked your website and um, reduced its its value for that short period of time. So I'm guessing that you felt a little bit of anger in that situation. Is that correct? Quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how you explain it logically. It's something or someone outside, and this could be a person or it could be an accident. It could be a server going down or an, or an internet pipeline going down. Something happened that attacked something that was inside your circle. Just like someone striking your child who you didn't know or do know, um, that would that would set you off. Someone or something attacked your website, and that also set you off. And there's probably a great deal of disappointment as well because now your website is down and there's a real value decrease of something on your attachment map, right? Correct. Yeah. And so now how quickly you process those things and how quickly you get by them will determine how well you react to the situation because a lot of people will get caught up in the whole – you know, stewing about the situation or, or, or being caught in the emotional reaction and not being able to take action before, um, you know, they can process their way out of the emotion. And so the faster you can process your way through that emotion, the better off you're going to be. So, um, the reality is when you're talking about being able to look at your expectation and a preference, I mean, it is good to even just verbalize to say, okay, all right, my website is down. Um, I would prefer my website to be up. It sucks that it's down. Um, what at this point do I need to do to help get my website up? What actions do I need to take? And that will help get you by and separate yourself from the emotional reaction that you're having, right? And you know, even if a like like the, the first example that we used, if you have an expectation or or preference about your sales numbers of a certain product that you just put out, and the sales numbers are coming in and it's not selling very well. You could sit there and stew in your disappointment and say, man, that sucks. Or you could say, all right, my expectation or preference was the sales numbers are high. The reality is perceived. The RP of the equation is that they're not. 
all right, what action can I take to increase them? Now, instead of being caught up in the emotion and being controlled by the emotion, you are now taking the next step away from, okay, let's get through that emotion. Let's forget about that emotion and let's take the action necessary to get me to where I want to be in my goals. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, let me ask you this question, taking that equation, expectation, and perception. Yep. What if, for instance, my website going down, what if as a way to more closely match reality versus expectation, if I just expected my website to go down? You can. I mean, you know, the reality is that in the tech world, things break. I mean, I can't tell you how many hard drives that I had, you know, go bad on me and how much data that I lost before I finally broke down and bought a multi-thousand dollar RAID system. Mm. Um, You know, things break in the tech world. It's not a, a question of if, it's a question of when. And so you need to have you know, an an expectation that things are going to break even at unexpected times. And so if you set your expectation that some things are going to break, you definitely are going to handle those situations where your outage comes up much better. You're going to say, okay, boom, this is a time when something has failed. And I expected that something is going to fail. Okay, it just happens to be happening now. Either it's a good time or it's a bad time. It doesn't matter because now you have at least a miniature plan in your head to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here are the things that I, that I thought about that I needed, that I planned for. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a, a copy of the website. Let's just upload that. Let's get it to an alternate server if the host is, is you know, down for some reason or whatever. Um, and switch it over on the on the uh, a record or whatever you're you're doing um, to get your site back up. Having that expectation, it, like you said, is going to dramatically increase your ability to be able to handle your emotional reaction from whatever event is causing your your strife. Right. Yeah. That that and that's why I brought that up. Now, what about expectation versus goal? How do you kind of define that? Because what if you know, I'm, I'm worried of people and, and even myself saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to expect my website to go down and that's it. And so I, yep. don't, I don't even care or I don't, I don't strive for 100% uptime. Like right. how do you, how, where does the goal come in in this equation? Yeah, oh, and this is, the, this is one of the best um, Buddhist enigmas, if you want, uh, because the, the Buddhists uh, basically have been touting for the last 5,000 years, you know, if you don't have any attachments to things, um, you won't have any negative emotion or negative strife in your life because if, if and you know, it, it actually turns out to be scientifically true. If you don't have any expectations or preferences because you don't have any attachments, half of the equation of emotion is empty and you won't have any negative emotions as a result of the stuff that happens in your life. Right, but sense. the funny part is we live in this world where, you know, it's required that we have money to pay for the food for our kids and keep house over our head and yada, yada, yada. So we have to have goals and set um, you know milestones to achieve, and so those things become attachments. The key to being able to manage that is to understand the process, to understand mindfully that okay, this is an attachment that I'm putting on, and um, you know sometimes things are going to go well, sometimes they're not going to go well, and I need to be able to just expect that there's going to be an up and down. And having that expectation of having the, that there's going to be a little bit of, a, of an up and down from a daily perspective is going to help you manage those up and downs. But then also, it's going to keep those attachments that you put on, those goals that you put on at arm's length. It's going to help you realize, okay, these are things that I want to do, but they're not necessarily really a part of who I am. 
They're not a, a portion of my sense of self. I am going to work towards these things. I'm going to do the things that are necessary to get these things done. But at the same time, if one of them fails, it's not going to ruin my, it's not going to ruin my life. Uh, or ruin my day. You know, it's going to be one of those things where you can, you know, and this is this where this is where perception comes in. You know, changing one of the coolest things that I learned a long time ago before I even started this uh, the this equation of emotion thing was I learned to look at my failures as positive um, events. In sales a long time ago, um, I was in sales for about 10 years in these various companies and climbed the, the internal corporate ladder through sales. And I was president's club every year in sales because I was the best guy on the team who could get to the no the fastest, the N-O. Mm-hmm. And so at the point where I could identify a, a person who wasn't going to buy, man, that was awesome. Because that got me that much closer statistically to the person who was going to buy. And it got me past all the wasted time of dealing with that customer who wasn't going to buy um, so that I could get to the customer who was going to buy and help me make or exceed quota. So I, I got to love every failure that I had because it got me that much closer to my success. And so altering our perception about our failures can do a lot of stuff for us. It can remove the fear of getting started. Um, in, in, you know, because if we don't have the fear of failure, then we don't have the fear of getting something started because what's the big deal? If we fail, big deal. We're going to learn something from it. And then also we can take a number of positives from the things that we do fail on. And so changing our perception can also then increase our emotional well-being. Now, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, as far as changing your perception, couldn't you just say, well, you're sort of just fooling yourself? Well, yes and no. Because, you know, the reality is um, how you look at things is how you see the world. And, you know, from a yes. very, you know, Zen um, type of, of perspective, you know, we create um, every bit of our world. You know, we, you know, the light waves coming into our eyes um, are coded into patterns and, and objects and things like that. And so we're creating those things in our head. And, you know, a lot of times, like when people have illnesses or they have disabilities or something like that, they'll have hallucinations or they'll have, you know, things don't work right. They're creating an alternate world that, you know, um, it could, is certainly real for them. And so, you know, how we look at things and how we process things and how we decide to look at things makes a huge difference in how we're going to react to things and how we um, deal with the world. Such as, you know, like you're driving along the highway and, you know, you're, you expect that, you know, people wouldn't cut you off and somebody does. You're going to have a huge problem with that if you take that um, person cutting you off as a slight to your um, perception of self because, you know, cutting, cutting you off because one of my research PhDs is a specialist in, in anger management behind the wheel. Mm. And so he is dealing with right now, um, how people get cut off in traffic and they perceive it as a slight to themselves, which causes road rage because that person is basically telling you I'm more important than you are. You aren't important enough for me not to, you know, just cut you off in, in traffic, that type of thing. And so that's an external, um, non, uh, you know, entity or a person that's not attached to you attacking something on your attachment map, your sense of self, they're outside your attachment map saying, I'm more important than you are and you suck. So that's why you get mad when somebody cuts you off in traffic. If you have that expectation or preference or that they are going to cut you off or the perception that, 
okay, this guy's either just not paying attention or he's an idiot and it's really not a slight to me, that perception difference makes the difference between you getting upset behind the wheel and not getting upset behind the wheel. Yeah, and getting into an accident perhaps and not. Yeah, totally. Dude, I'm so glad you mentioned that last part about, you know, you're not just, you're not fooling yourself. You're actually making yourself what you, right, exactly. what, what like you, the, what you feel and what you think is reality. Exactly. Because, because here's the thing. If you, let's say like I used to get caught up a lot of times in these, um, online flame wars and, uh, you know, there would be times where people would make comments or whatever. Um, and I would sit there defending myself or whatever it was that I was attached to, to one guy who was on the internet who had intended to just be a troll, Mm -hmm. you know, who had intended to. And so my perception was that this guy's opinion was important and this guy needed to be won over and this guy needed to be defended against. And so, you know, because I had that perception, how many hours did I waste, you know, trying to defend my attachment um, to, to this, whoever it was, right. If my perception was that, okay, this guy is a troll (laughs) and there's absolutely no basis for his argument whatsoever, then that changes my whole life. That gives me hours back in a day. Yeah, seriously. I mean, there's, there's two great things we just talked about here and it's a perfect way to end the show. Um, one, and I can bring it back to a quote that I've said several times on the blog and people are going to, you know, remember this when I, when I say it, it's a quote by Henry Ford. It's whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Exactly. It's one of my all-time favorite quotes because it's so true. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've experienced that. So really, you just have to change your perception sometimes and be confident. Even if you don't know exactly what it is you're doing, learn from your failures. That's another thing I mention all the time. And the second thing is, uh, you know, haters going to hate. Yep. You know, <laughs> haters are going to hate. And so I think that's a perfect way to end this. Um, yeah. Sean, if people want to get to know you a bit more, do you have a website, maybe a Twitter handle that they can, uh, you know, come find you at? Yeah, totally. In fact, if you want to understand a lot better about all the emotional stuff that we talked about today, um, I have this thing called the Body, Mind, Spirit 101. It's a free course. It's uh, 10 weeks. It's like 20 some odd videos that you get sent um, in email. It's available at impodcasts.com. Um, you can go sign up and just, you know, get the emails and um, it'll explain all of the, the basic emotions, how they work, how they work within you, and then give you good exercises, including, you know, basics of meditation and, and stuff like that that you can learn about the various ways to help get control of your mind. Because the, the quote that I like is, is one from Horace that says, control your mind or it will control you. Nice. And then um, if, if you want to dive in a little deeper about the technological side of, you know, how to understand emotions and code form and make them uh, alive in the, in the computer world, you can, you know, pick up the book, How Emotions Work in Humans and Computers. It's available everywhere except where printed books are made because I just don't like the fact of killing trees. I'm just against that. And then uh, eventually, um, if you stop by um, I Am Podcasts, uh, I'll, I'll put you on the mailing list to let you know about the emotional intelligence app that's going to come out that's going to be focused on increasing levels of inner peace because, you know, Gandhi's quote is the other one that I love is uh, world peace can only be attained through inner peace. And mm-hmm. so we're going to do an app that helps raise emotional intelligence thus raising, you know, all the benefits of, of, you know, all the studies that have been put out, but also then increase the, the quantity of world peace. 
Love it. I love it, Sean. All those links and resources will be on the show notes for this episode. Dude, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. Congrats on all the success and and the wild ride that you've had, and I'm sure it's just getting started. Um, Yeah, just thanks again. No problem. Thank you, Pat. And let me know if there's anything I can ever do. Of course. Thanks. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sean Webb from, again, IamPodcast.com. A lot of interesting, crazy things. I know a lot of that is probably over some of your heads. It was for me, at least, until we started to get into the really good examples, like at the end there. Um, And, you know, you might have to listen to this one again because it has some really good, important uh, incredibly important stuff for for you and your business, and just sort of when you whenever you know things may end up happening uh, in in your life. Now, before we finish up, I do have a SpeakPipe voicemail for you. Um, again, if you want to leave me a voicemail, you can. You can go to speakpipe.com/patflynn. You can leave me a voicemail, and you might get featured on the SPA podcast, just like Mister Frank Block here. Frank has a website. You can find it at Metro Priesta. Dot com. I won't spell it here because he spells it in the audio. Um, and uh, it's a really interesting thing he has going on, and he asks a couple really great questions. So let's get to the voicemail from Frank. Hi, Pat. It's Frank Block here calling from metroprestai.com. That's M-E-T-R-O-P-R-Y-S-T-A-I.com. About two years ago, I came across your ebook, Ebooks a Smart Way, and I loved it. But I struggled to find a topic. And then I met a retired NHL all-star named Mitro Presti, hence the website title. And he wanted me to write a biography on him. And I instantly thought of doing it as an ebook and an audiobook, just like he outlined in your ebook. Now, after doing tons of interviews with him and many of his old teammates and friends, I'm very close to having it completed. And I have a daughter who is a graphic and media design consultant, and she's setting up my website and that. And she suggested that I don't do it as you outlined in your ebook but rather to offer it through iTunes and available for Kindle. What are your thoughts? I'd like to know the pros and cons of doing it either way, or maybe both. I just want your input. Uh, I'd also be interested in knowing how to edit my audio so that each audio file will have multiple chapters. Any help would be appreciated. Keep up the good work, Pat, and thanks again for all that you do. Hey, thanks, Frank, for the questions. Um, I'm sure a lot of people out there listening right now will also have the same questions or come across the point at which they would need answers to this question. So I'm really happy to answer it for you today. Now, obviously, when you uh, write a book, um, you'll get to that point where you finish up and then you can decide whether or not to either publish it on your own site, like how I did at greenexamacademy.com when I packaged a lot of that content, put it into my own book and sold it directly from my website at greenexamacademy.com or you could do sort of like what I did with Let Go, which is publish a book on the Amazon platform for Kindle, for uh, for Nook, for iBooks, um, and there's also now Snippet app is available. Um, it really depends on what the major goal is of this book. If your goal is to make a ton of money, then publishing on your own site can be the best option if you have that audience there or if you know and have perhaps run tests on paid advertising to get traffic coming to your website. And the benefit of that is you have more control over how you run your promotions, what the price is, you can split test stuff, you can add bonuses and downloads and all this stuff. And yeah, you could do that with Amazon Books too, but this is all controlled on your own site. You can keep the branding experience the same on your own site. Again, that was very lucrative for me on greenexamacademy.com when I published 
the green exam walkthrough. And on Amazon.com, however, and all those other marketplaces, you have to think about what's there already and what the benefits are there. For example, Amazon.com has 300 million people who have their credit cards registered on their site and the ability to, with the click of a single button, to purchase whatever books are on there. And so you also have to think about that Amazon is a search engine and it's probably the largest paid search engine in the world, meaning people go to Amazon expecting to find stuff that they're interested in and then pay for it as opposed to something like Google or even iTunes or uh, you know YouTube where most people are searching for stuff that is free, for free information. What's cool about Amazon also is that you can benefit from the algorithms that are involved when you put a product on that particular marketplace. For example, you'll notice on the bottom half of any sales pages, people who bought this also bought this. And so you have the opportunity to put your book in front of other people's books and get eyes onto your book that way as well. Another benefit of Amazon, uh, Amazon specifically, is that you have the option to put your book in what's called KDP or Kindle Direct Publishing Program Select into their KDP Select program. What that does is it does two things for you. One, it gives people the ability to borrow your book to sort of rent it out, and that actually helps you earn an income, um, you know, uh, based on a pool of money that Amazon has set aside for people who borrow books. And depending on the number of people who borrow, you might get a specific. Um, sort of percentage of that um, from all the books that are borrowed on Amazon. So that that's one benefit. But the big benefit is that you have the ability to, for five days out of every 90 days that you have and are enrolled in KDP Select, you have the ability to run free promotions. And at any time, for any length of time, between one and five days, and you can do this five days, five random days during the year, or you can do this five consecutive days during the year, you can run a free promotion. And every time I've noticed somebody run these free promotions, they have massive amounts of downloads. There are just parts of Amazon that showcase any books that have turned from paid to free. There are places on the web that sort of um, detect any of that activity. And so you'll get a lot of eyes on your book. You'll be giving away for free, but you'll be getting a lot of downloads. And that does a couple things for you. One, when you switch back to paid, you're going to be higher up in the rankings. You're going to have a lot more reviews. And, um, you know, you're going to have a lot more people potentially sharing that book in the future as well. So if if the goal here is to get this book in front of as many eyes as possible, to reach out to people who you potentially would have never reached before because of the benefit of being on this marketplace versus being on your own website and earning more money is not quite as important as getting more eyes on this book, then putting yourself onto these marketplaces is definitely the best way to go. Now, I will tell you that if you go and enroll in KDP Select, you don't have to, it's optional, but it will give you those five free days and and income for people borrowing it. If you do go with KDP Select, you have to exclusively publish on Amazon for 90 days. You can't publish on your own website, you can't publish on Nook, you can't publish on uh, iBooks or Snippetapp or anywhere else. So that that's one thing to think about. Now, publishing on these marketplaces, uh, whether it's KDP Select or, or non-KDP Select, um, you know, there's still a lot of good potential money in there as well. They do sort of control the marketplace, they give you most of the royalties 
in prices between uh, you know uh, one ninety nine and uh, I believe it's nine ninety nine or seven ninety nine. I can't. There's there's a couple price points where it breaks off from seventy percent commission to uh, or you know seventy percent royalties to thirty five percent royalties. They really try to control it within a couple price points, um, which are relatively low to what you could potentially earn on your, on your website. But if you get more eyes on your book, you could potentially get those leads and then sell stuff potentially down the road or introduce them to new books um, or other things that you may potentially sell, products on that website that you have. So there are ways to convert those leads that you get from getting more eyes on your brand through those marketplaces and get them to, you know, down the road or at the end of the funnel, pay for something. So that's just something to think about. So I know that's a really long answer, but that's that's a very, very important question, and those are sort of my thoughts behind it. Now, as far as the audio file, this is this addresses your second question. Um, how do you put chapters into an audio file? Um, you know, for those of you who might be wondering, you know, yes, you can have separate MP3 files. Um, that's what I did for uh, my audiobook at greenexamacademy.com, uh, which I sold alongside my ebook there. I had just separate MP- MP3 files. Um, I think I had like 60 separate ones. Now, you can create a single file that is sort of like an MP3 file, but it's called an M4B, B as in boy, uh, which is the standard bookmarkable audiobook format, M4B. And what that does is it allows you to put different chapters into one audio file, whereas you can create ID3 tags between each of those chapters so that when you do reach that particular part in the audio, it will switch you know, the information on the screen that the people are listening to. It will say chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and things like that. And that's the sort of universal um, the audiobook format so that's m4b as far as how to create that i'm not sure i never i have never done that i had people do that for me i know there are services that can do that for you as well and probably tools that you can use uh, that you can download some free perhaps i'm not exactly sure but i'm sure there are paid ones out there to create that single m4b standard bookmarkable audiobook format So hopefully that helps Frank uh, and everyone out there who had the same question. Now to finish up today's show, I just would love to say thank you. Just thank you from the bottom of my dear little heart because you guys are awesome. Like seriously, I just enjoy so much what I do. I, you know, right now I'm staring at a wall while I'm while I'm speaking, but I know that there are tens of thousands of you listening to this uh, right now, or who will eventually listen to this in the future. And and just knowing that you're there um, just means the world to me. So if you could come by the blog, come by the show notes today, and just let me know how the blog, how the podcast is going, what you're enjoying from it, um, maybe something I can improve on. You know, I'm always looking to improve. I, any any sort of respectable, constructive criticism, I am always happy to accept. So come to the show notes. Whenever you get a chance, go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 7070. Smartpassiveincome.com slash session 70. It's the only thing I want you to do. Go there. You know, all the links uh, mentioned in this show, although there weren't very many uh, in this particular one, um, are there. But I also want you to leave a comment and just let me know how you feel about the podcast. We're at episode 70. We're approaching episode 100. I love doing this for you. Do you love listening? Let me know. Smartpassiveincome.com slash session 70. Thank you guys. Love you so much. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, That's all I got. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.
So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 